You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. If you were to ask John Wesley, founder of our Methodist movement, which Christian teachings were most basic, most fundamental, like pick two, John, and just tell us what they are. He would have most likely pointed you to, number one, teaching on justification, forgiveness of sins, and the new birth. Wesley said that justification, these are two fundamental things, and he said justification, you need to think about that as what Jesus does for us when He forgives our sins, when He joins us to Himself. That's absolutely fundamental and basic. We've got to be focused on that. got to understand what's going on. He said the other one is the new birth. And if forgiveness is what Jesus does for us, the new birth is what the Holy Spirit does in us. It's that inward transformation of the heart where He takes death and gives life. Wesley said these two teachings are absolutely basic and must not be missed. Jesus Himself in John 3 describes the new birth as being born of the Spirit. And that's where our focus on the Holy Spirit uh, converges with this question of basic fundamental teachings of the church. New birth. Holy Spirit, new birth. Jesus says those two things go together. The Spirit is the one who gives the new birth, the new life. So we're going to take a look at John chapter 3 today. We're going to dig in uh, this familiar passage, but we want to try to see it with fresh eyes. And as we do, this one thing is going to keep coming up again and again. One thing is that the Spirit is the only one who gives the life that everyone needs. We can just kind of hold on to that. The Holy Spirit is the only one who gives the life that all of us need. And not just us, everyone in the world. Now, Jesus says in verse 7, John chapter 3, verse 7, Don't be astonished, Nicodemus. He's having this conversation with Nicodemus. We'll talk more about him in a few minutes. But first I want you to hear the energy, the gravity, and the emphasis that Jesus puts on the, the new birth. It's really for him a necessity. And if it's a necessity in Jesus' thinking, we need to reckon with that. We need to wrestle with it. We need to embrace it. So Jesus says to Nicodemus, Don't be surprised, don't be astonished that I said to you, you must be born again. Did you catch, what he, did you catch that? Like he's not saying, hey, guess what? Here's an option. Take it if you like. Leave it if you don't. New birth or whatever else you got going on today. No, Jesus says, listen, Nicodemus, teacher of Israel, you're supposed to know your stuff. You're supposed to have understanding. You're supposed to have wisdom. You're supposed to have insight. You, Nicodemus, must be born again. It's an absolute necessity. Question is, why? Why must Nicodemus and all of us be born again? Why is it a necessity to move from death to life? New birth. 
The answer comes at the beginning of the story, doesn't it? As so many answers do. Flip your pages all the way back to the Old Testament, all the way back to the first book of the Old Testament, all the way back to the first few chapters of the first book of the Old Testament, where we find Adam and Eve made in the image of God and given life. God breathes breath into their lungs, fills them with spirit of life, makes them his image bearers, his representatives. They govern on his behalf. They embody his character. But things go south pretty quickly, don't they? God gave them that one restriction. Like there's one line, he says, I've given you everything. Like there are a thousand yeses in the garden. You can have the fruit of that tree. You can have that. You can have this. You can have, there's a lake over here. Enjoy it. Have a great, all these things. God says a thousand yeses. One no. Only one. One thing. Steer clear of this. Not because God is, you know, this legalistic, nitpicky, you know, let's see how hard we can make it. Kind of, that's not what God is like. Remember, God is, look at all the, the bounty, the glory that I'm sharing with you. There's this one thing, though, don't touch it. And that's going to be your reminder that I'm God and you're not. <laughs> You've got a lot of authority, but you don't have absolute authority. You bear my image, but it's my image. All that you have is a gift. It's all derived. You didn't make it. You received it. And this one tree that you don't touch is a reminder that everything is gift. You don't have absolute authority. That's really a good reminder, isn't it? Nevertheless, our first parents, Adam, Eve, decided to step over that boundary line. And the thing about stepping over that boundary, transgressing that commandment that God gave them, that reminder that He is God and everything they have is gift, is that they're telling the one who gave them life, no thanks, we're not interested. Think about it for a minute, right? God breathes the breath of life into their lungs. He says, I want to fellowship with you. I want to commune with you. I want to have you in my presence in the garden. And I want us to, to, to walk together and, and care for one another. And they say, no, God, we really know better than you do. We'll do what we want to do. We don't need what you have to offer. And here's the thing. When you say to the one who gives you life, I really don't need what you have to offer, there's only one other option, isn't there? What is it? Death. And so in the moment Adam ate whatever fruit it was, his eyes were opened and instantly he died spiritually. It took a long time for the implications of that to play out physically. He lived a long time physically, 
But in that moment, his relationship with his maker was broken. He began to feel shame. He began to feel guilt. And the reality of that reverberated throughout creation. And the consequences of his transgression extended to everyone he represents, including us. So that his spiritual deadness would characterize everyone born. Raise your hand if you've been born. Only about two-thirds of you. (laughs) All of us have been born. That's why this is an everybody kind of thing, isn't it? The Holy Spirit's got something to give. Everyone needs it. Because whether it seems fair or not, what Adam did changed the situation for everybody. Before he took a bite of that fruit, everything was fine. The world was in glory. But the moment the head man transgressed, it all went south. Not just for him, but everyone. You ever had a boss at your job make a bad decision and you experienced the consequences for that? I won't ask you to raise your hand on that one. Maybe you're the boss. <laughs> it's a little, it seems unfair to us. Why, does, why do I have to pay for his, his sin? right? But when we start thinking about life, it happens all the time. Other people do things and we experience the negative consequences. It's not that strange. It's not that unusual. And so when Adam transgressed, the whole world enters into a certain spiritual deadness. And everybody needs to be brought back to life. Jesus says, you must be born again. Why? Because you're dead on the inside. Now, I've gotten in trouble for saying this before. (laughs) Everybody, including those cute, tiny little babies, are dead on the inside and need to be made alive. Everyone including the most upstanding class act person you know, comes into this world. If they don't, haven't met Jesus yet, they're dead on the inside and need to be made alive. Right? This is one of those places where we need to remember that being a southern gentleman is not the same thing as being a follower of Jesus. Right? Christianity is not primarily about being a nice guy. It's about being born again. And the only one who can give us what we all need is the Spirit of God. Jesus says, you need to be born again, you need to be born of the Spirit. And this is for, if Nicodemus needs it, so do I. The guy who has all the answers, so do I. And so do you. So what's it like, this new birth? What's the nature of it? What are, what, are we, what are we talking about when we talk about the new birth? This movement from spiritual death to spiritual life. In a moment, right? Well, it's a mystery in many ways. And Jesus is very happy to kind of emphasize the mystery. right? He says, look, I can tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Born of the Spirit. Born again. What's born of flesh and fle- is flesh, right? So you've got natural birth. Kind of thing that happens in a hospital room. You got spiritual birth, the kind of thing the Holy Spirit does. 
The spiritual birth, Jesus says, is mysterious. The wind blows where it chooses. You hear the sound of it. You're not in control of it. You don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going. And this new birth is a lot. The work of the Spirit to give new life is a lot like that. Like, don't think you're in control. <laughs> don't think you can manipulate a situation. This is a good reminder for preachers too, right? Let's play that song one more time and maybe somebody will come down front. You ever been in an experience like that? <laughs> you, know? you can't manipulate the Holy Spirit. You can preach your heart out, but you can't manipulate the Holy Spirit. You can play the song a thousand times, but you can't manipulate the Holy Spirit. The Spirit goes where it wants to go. And that's the work that's going on there. So Jesus is happy to say, look, there's some mystery here. It would, and, and really, if he kind of just sort of wrote it out on a chart, it would degrade the whole thing, wouldn't it? Here's what happens, you know, first this and then A, B, C. And like if you could outline the new birth, it wouldn't be as, as, as lovely, would it? So Jesus is happy with the mystery, and we should be happy with that too. We should be grateful. <laughs> this is one of those things where I don't need to just parse it out as a theologian. I need to receive it as a grateful, repentant sinner. So how it works out, there's not a lot to say about that. What happens in it, we can say some things about that. And this analogy with physical birth helps us, doesn't it? So you got Nicodemus, teacher of Israel. He's a Pharisee. He really knows his stuff. He's connected with the right people. He comes to Jesus in nighttime. He's literally in the dark. And as this plays out, you're going to realize he really is in the dark. He has no idea what's going on. So he comes to Jesus, rabbi, teacher, we know you're a teacher, uh, and I think he's sincere here. I don't think he's just trying to butter Jesus up. We've seen the things you do, we've seen the signs, we've seen the wonders. God must be commending you. And Jesus says, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. And Nicodemus has no idea what he's talking about, right? So his literal in the darkness is also a spiritual in the darkness. He doesn't understand Jesus. So we here, and maybe he is kind of start kind of joshing, joshing with Jesus a little bit here. He's like, yeah, what are you talking about? Am I, I'm an old man. Am I just supposed to crawl back in my mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus says, can one enter... Uh, Jesus answers, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom. He's not even going to, he's like, not even going to answer that question because he's, he's, he's just, this is ridiculous. Can anyone be born again without being born of water and the spirit? What's born of flesh is flesh. Yes, you're born physically, but you also need to be born of the spirit. And he creates this analogy, doesn't he? Right, there's physical birth, there's spiritual birth. They're alike in many ways, not every way, but in many ways. And maybe one of the ways we can think about it is the way our senses develop. So think about it this way. This is the way that uh, Wesley would take you. He says, you know, when you're a, a baby in the womb, you've got eyes. <laughs> you don't see much, though, do you? They're probably closed most of the time. Uh, you've got ears, but everything's kind of, you know, you're not really hearing. Well, you're hearing, but things are going to be muffled. You're not, the senses are not fine-tuned. They're dulled. You're not receiving communication through your ears, are you? 
But when you're born, all of a sudden you see new things, you hear new things. As you get older, those senses develop, don't they? They become fine-tuned. I'm able to really perceive the world, understand it, receive that information, process it, and do things with it. Maybe that's helpful for us in understanding the spiritual new birth, right? You come into the world dead, right? Everybody, all of us, children, adults, nice people, mean people, everybody, dead to God, right? Paul talks in Romans about being dead in our transgressions. That's where we are. Or spiritually, we're dead. We have spiritual senses, but they're dead. We don't perceive spiritual things. Jesus is always saying, if you've got eyes to see, if you've got ears to hear, right? well, the unregenerate don't. Or they're not ready yet. They're like that baby in the womb who, you know, the eyes are there, but they're closed. The ears are there, but they're dulled. And when you get born of the Spirit... The Spirit of God opens your eyes to new things. You begin to see Jesus more clearly. You begin to perceive what He's doing and what He's interested in, what He's after, and what His vision for you, for the world, for the church is. And then over time, you continue to pray and read the Scriptures and worship with the church and, and serve and engage in mission. And, and all of those things begin to open your eyes more and more and more and more so that you perceive more clearly but you're only able to do that after you've been born again. My guess is if you uh, spoke to one of those 17 folks that went to Guatemala a couple weeks ago, they would say, I see things I haven't seen before. My eyes have been opened in ways I just haven't seen it this way before. I suspect similar things will happen for those of you who go to Louisiana in a few weeks. He'll come back saying, you know, I see things a little differently. That's the Holy Spirit at work. Making a mature, a more mature follower of Jesus. Let me show you some things. You made, maybe you weren't ready to see them last year. Let me tell you some things. Maybe you weren't ready to hear them before. But now, you've been brought to life. And there's some growth that needs to happen and your senses need to develop. So you get this idea, there's this analogy, physical birth, you come, you're born, you can see things, but that needs to develop over time. Spiritual birth, you come to new life, you can see things, but that needs to develop over time. So that's what happens. Wesley called this the great change. That God works in your soul. You can know the new birth is legit, that it's happening when stuff starts changing. This is that in us thing. Forgiveness is for us. New birth is in us. So Wesley highlights a number of things. He says, look, you used to love the world, now you love God. <laughs> you used to be consumed with yourself, now you are passionate about others. I mean, there's a change that happens you used to be consumed with pride, now you've become more humble. And that's a growing thing. It's not a switch you flip. There's a, a process there. You used to be 
Now, your life was characterized, maybe you just lose your temper all the time. And over time, the Spirit of God works to change that, produce patience, one of those fruit of the Spirit. Temper to patience, envy to compassion, hatred to love. We can do some diagnostic work there, can't we? Is the Holy Spirit making me a more patient person? Is the Holy Spirit making me a more compassionate person? Is the Holy Spirit making me a more humble person? A more generous person? Is my life increasingly characterized by joy? Right? If I've been born again, the answer should be yes. More and, and you never really finish that, do you? <laughs> it's like, I've got enough joy, I don't need any more, thanks very much. You just, you know. <laughs> no one talks like that, do they? Yes, yes, I've reached my limit of humility. <laughs> you know, that's not, no. It's an ongoing, for the rest of our lives, the Spirit of God is, because circumstances change and we run into new things and there are new situations where the Spirit has to work in those situations to reproduce the character of Jesus. But that's the thing that's happening. He's taking that thing we lost in the garden with Adam, the image of God that was broken, the image of Christ which was, was damaged. He's giving us new life. He's bringing us to birth. And He's restoring the image. He's restoring it. Do you want the image of God to be restored in your life? It starts at the new birth. It starts at the new birth, and the Holy Spirit is the only one who can do it. The Holy Spirit's the only one can, that can do it, and all of us need it. Now, what's the goal? Well, here's the thing. The goal is not behavior modification. Right? Sometimes when we're... Uh, you know, disciplining our kids, the goal is behavior modification. <laughs> just stop hollering, right? Stop pitching a fit. Stop making a mess. We just want them to stop doing things we don't like and start doing things. Behavior modification. That's not Jesus' attitude to his brothers and sisters. That's not God's attitude to his children. That's not the Spirit's attitude to those he indwells. His goal is not behavior modification. It's character transformation. He wants sons and daughters of God, family members who really are more compassionate than they used to be. Who really are more humble and generous than they used to be. And that's not just, well, you can give a lot without being generous. And there's plenty of people in the world who give millions of dollars and, have, and are not generous people. They need the tax break or something, right? I'd write the check. Is my heart being made, is my character being transformed? That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's the outcome of the new birth. That's the, the process that continues. Like not behavior mod modification, but character transformation. Renewal of the image of God in us. This comprehensively, this character comprehensively marked by the image of Jesus. Like if this is what Jesus looks like. How does He embody, you know, like play out His character in my body? How do I come to embody that? The goal is eternal salvation, but we're not waiting around just for that. There's a transformation that happens in the meantime, right? And we think about this with that physical birth analogy, it makes sense, right? Because when our kids are born, we don't want them to just kind of, well, yeah, maybe you want them to stay cute little babies for a while, but you want them to grow up, you want to prepare them for the world, you want them to be mature, uh, wise, engaged, 
contributing, caring people. You want them to be mature. You, You don't want your kids to get to college and be immature, do you? There's that... You know, so what starts with birth is just the beginning and it goes forward. The new birth is just the beginning. It goes forward to Christian maturity. To Christian maturity. And what we're really talking about is holiness, isn't it? Right? Not the legalistic tick-the-box behavior modification, but the inward transformation so that our character embodies the character of Jesus. Thing about holiness is it's really about the ho- holiness is it's really about wholeness and it's really about happiness because <laughs> generous people tend to be more happier than not generous people humble people tend to be happier than people who are filled with pride compassionate people tend to be happier than people who are just eaten up with envy and jealousy. Just me and my, I want this for me. As opposed to people who are just, can I just care for you for a while? See the movement there, right? This is about your wholeness. This is about our health and joy and happiness. Why is joy one of the fruit of the Spirit? Because Jesus wants us to flourish. He doesn't want us to be eaten up with self-focus for 80 years or so, and then die. He wants to transform us as quickly as possible so that His other-oriented love can characterize every aspect of our being so that we can transform the world in His name for His glory in the power of the Spirit. It starts with the new birth, but it goes on from there to Christian maturity. The Holy Spirit's the one who does it, and all of us need it. Holy Spirit's the only one who does it. And all of us need it. Two thousand sixteen, I went to Central America for the first time. Costa Rica. Uh, three of us from uh, the church were there and we were working with a, a group of missionaries engaged in trying to save people from human trafficking situations. Very serious stuff. We go out on the streets one night, and I'm talking to this guy, he's a cab driver, and he's involved in that whole uh, trafficking network, get a piece in that. Never felt in danger, we were just kind of telling stories and chatting. He had a little bit of free time that night, and... Uh, he tells me the story of how he'd been mugged by someone who hailed his cab affair and how he'd actually killed the guy with a machete. He showed me the machete and the newspaper article that told about it. So I'm sitting there in the darkest place I've ever been in my life. San Jose. Outside this hotel that was kind of a central piece in Central America for the trafficking racket. Talking to a guy who was involved in that who killed somebody with a machete one time. And I said, how can I pray for you? That's what we said to everybody when that. <laughs> you know what he said to me? I need new life. Right there in that dark place. In that wicked, 
racket. Spirit was at work. Because at least that guy knew he needed new life. I don't know whether or not he's found it yet. But we prayed that night in 2016. We prayed that the Spirit of God would infiltrate that dark place and give him new life. The question for all of us is, where are the places in our hearts where we need the Spirit to give life? None of them are going to be as obvious as that guy. All of us have them. The Holy Spirit is the only one who can do it. So where are the places in my heart where my growth is stunted? Where are the places where there's some darkness or death and the Holy Spirit just needs to come and bring the light of His love and flood that place and just touch it and make it grow? Maybe you want to take a minute before we pray together and just ask the Spirit of God I need you to come touch this place in my heart. I need new life. You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org slash sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.